My name's Christine, and this is episode two of my podcast, Unmuzzled at 67. Thank you for being with me. It's great to have your company. So last time we were talking about kind of where it all started, how I was brought up and living in Springburn in the 60s and the lifestyle that that involved. And today um, I'm sharing with you what happened to me that changed me, (laughs) this self-conscious, shy, church-going 12-year-old that turned my back on on the values I'd been brought up with and I took off in a different direction. So are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. It all started with an overheard conversation. I came home from lunch. I was 12 years old, came home from from lunch from school and just about to open the living room door and I heard my dad speaking in quite a no-nonsense tone. That was quite unusual because he was a very laid-back guy and he was talking about me. He was saying to my mum, I don't think she's really got it. I I, I really don't think she's going to be the success that we might have hoped for. You see, for him, he wanted both me and my brother to be going to university. That was something he was robbed of in his lifetime. And so... I suppose like all parents, he wanted the best education for us. He wanted the best life for us. And so he naturally thought that that is is where we should be heading. I suppose like any parent, every parent wants a better life. But he was saying to my mum that he thought I had struggled with my grades uh, that got me into a senior secondary school that I I didn't have the ability to be able to study. He said, you know, I, I think we need to focus on Stuart. That was my brother. He said, you know, I think that's where we need to put our focus. And I think for her, you know, I think for Christine, we just need to kind of let her find her own way. We need to help her. But I think our focus and our support needs to be on, on him needs to be in Stuart because he is the one that is definitely going to bring the success that we need in the family. Now, I was an absolute daddy's girl. I used to say, I want to marry a man like my daddy for as long as I can remember. So the effect on me hearing this was devastating. I felt it was like a personal attack. I felt I'd just been written off. And I felt that maybe my dad didn't love me at all. Maybe he was pretending he'd loved me. But because after all, he just seemed to dismiss me and throw me in a corner in favour of my brother. And he seemed to do it quite easily. He was probably lying to me all those years. He, 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 He couldn't have loved me at all. I felt abandoned, betrayed, and my world was smashed to bits. The hurt and the shock soon turned to outrage and anger and revenge. 
I set out to hurt them the way that they had hurt me because my mother had not stood up for me. She had just uh, said nothing. So for me, if you say nothing, you're, you're basically saying yes. And it seemed obvious to me that the best way to hurt them was to damage their prized respectability. Looking back, I pressed a self-destruct button. My path was set. Very quickly, I changed into a holy terror. I had no interest in myself or the consequences for the reckless behaviour that ensued. The memory of that conversation was buried deep. I told no one, and I only started to talk about this when I was in my 60s. So let me just talk about that for a minute. So the first person that I told was a selected friend, and she was selected because I, had, I liked her, I respected her, she was very rational, and she was wise. So I said to her, you know, something happened to me when I was 12 that it, I, I think it changed my life. It, it changed my path because I've often wondered if I'd never heard what I did here, would I be living the life I'm living today? And no, I definitely don't think I would. Oh, she says, do tell. She started to say, kind of sit forward a wee bit, showing her interest in the story. But halfway through the story, I could see she was beginning to sit back. I could actually see that her eyes were beginning to cloud over a wee bit. And I thought, fuck's sake, she's losing interest in this. I'm saying to myself while I'm telling the story. When I had finished, she said, oh, right. I thought, fuck's sake, that was not the reaction I was expecting. So I said to her, what, what would you have done in a situation like that? She says, I would just have proved him wrong. So that brought this new feeling of shame, this feeling that I was just weak and pathetic, that I didn't even stand up for myself. I didn't do what she would have done. And I was really surprised at how she'd taken the story. And as the years went on and I plucked up the courage to tell other people, they more or less had the same reaction. But when I was in my 60s, I started, I learned how to meditate and that was a complete life changer for me. And that led me to research, what was it about me that had reacted so differently to the other people that I'd shared the story with. Now, bearing in mind, you know, the other people I'm sharing this story with are now in their 50s and 60s, but still in all, their, their reaction of three and four other people compared to my reaction to the same situation was very, very different. So that, I decided to research what it was about me that, uh, that was just so different. How, how was I so different? And I came across the word trauma, which I originally thought meant something truly awful, some awful situation 
that would be a hundred times worse than what had happened to me. The word trauma was never a word I had heard growing up. I'd never heard anybody using it and I didn't really know much about it until I was well in my 50s. So what re the research told me was that the most important thing was the human individual reaction to trauma and how that varied from person to person. How it varied dependent on their personality, the stage of their development. And it was not always about what actually happened, about the trauma itself. It was about the effect that it had on each different person. If, if you don't mind, I'd like to quote something quite emotional that I picked up from research. Trauma is personal. If it is ignored or invalidated, the silent screams continue internally, held only, heard only by the one held captive. That made me cry when I read that. With relief in a way that I could identify, this was how I felt. And this opened the door to understanding myself, why I had reacted the way I did, and it made sense of who I became. My research also told me that children experience trauma, children who experience trauma can suffer with the following. Difficulty in identifying themselves, difficulty in managing their emotions, internalising their stress, can experience depression, anxiety, anger, and can become aggressive and or compulsive. This all made complete sense to me. But the most astonishing information that I found out was this, that some children get emotionally stuck at the age the trauma happened and their development freezes. Did you know that? I mean, I just couldn't, couldn't believe this. This was just uncharted territory for me. The childlike behaviours that we have, like <clears throat> temper tantrums, impulsive behaviours. We expect to, to grow out of them and that they're replaced with a more mature uh, method of coping. But experiencing trauma, for some, not for everyone, for some at an early age, it can disrupt emotional growth. And the childlike emotional responses can follow us into adulthood and remain as our coping methods, we don't outgrow them. Some of us don't outgrow them. And this can be the root of much human distress. This described me, this described my behaviour to a T for most of my life. So could it be that I had been trying to navigate my life as a fucked up 12 year old? No wonder there was chaos, dysfunction and a lack of coping 
even with the ups and downs of daily life. Never mind stress. But I wonder if you're saying to yourself, for fuck's sake, could all that really happen over an overheard conversation? I get that. Our friends thought the same. And there was only one friend who stood by me or who understood me. And she's still there for me today. And that is a very special relationship for me that I really treasure. I wish I could tell you <laughs> that, that, that a different ending to that story. I wish I could tell you that I pushed open that fucking living room door and I stood up for myself and I tore shreds off those parents that had just completely written me off and didn't understand me at all. But I didn't. I was felled like a tree. And I can't make up a different ending because this is my story. And I told you from the start that I would share it with you, warts and all. I don't know, maybe it does show the mental state of how I was at 12 years old. But it's been important for me to spend this time talking about trauma at this point um, and how I dealt with this first one, which was a deciding factor in my future. So I can't minimise the huge effect it had on me. So I thought I would tell you about an experience that happened to me several years later that I think links into what I've just been saying about not just trauma, but how it affects you. And what I said earlier than that about how my trauma had changed me, had changed me entirely from being a obedient, bland child that sang in the choir, that did what I was told, to someone who was not going to follow the rules, someone that was defiant and difficult. And I thought that um, this experience that I'd like to share sums that up and is a good example of how, how much I had changed and how I was grooming myself to be gallus, meaning disobedient, meaning a show-off. And, and how I describe that is outside confidence, 10, inside confidence, zero. So, so let me tell you this, this story. And just before I do, I'd like to make you aware that there are some references to some words that you may not, um, I don't know if I should say want to hear. But just to be aware that there are some uh, some words. This is about some my, my first initial sexual experience. So um, so so there are some words there that I haven't used before, and hopefully won't use in any other ones. Um, so let's get back to me. I looked older for my age. I was still quite plump, but inside I was just a child, very naive, especially about sex. But it was around about this time that I became aware of a young guy who lived in the same street as the girl I walked to school with. He was 18. He had the reputation of being a real hard man. 
I think he was in a gang. Gangs were a big thing now in the 60s called the Milton Tongs. I, th I think he was. Uh, that was a very well-known gang and very feared. He was known as a man not to be crossed. And of course, being the new me, I was intrigued. And when one day he actually spoke to me, very suggestively, I may say, saying, I know what you need, hen, and I might be the very man to do it. Jesus, scary talk. This guy had no time to waste. He laid it on the line. And most girls of 14 would be running in the other direction if they were spoken to like that, by a guy like that. I was a little bit too, but my overriding feeling was of curiosity and intrigue. And, and he was dangerous, so I was interested. So maybe about a week later, completely by chance, I met him and his pals and they were standing outside a waste ground that was quite near to where I lived. So my house is maybe about 100 yards away. Are you? He shouts. Let's go for a wee walk in there, he says, pointing to the waste ground. I felt a wee bit outnumbered. There was about five other guys there with him. And foolishly, I stopped and got involved in this very flirty conversation. But before I knew it, this guy was standing behind me. He had his hands on my shoulders and he was walking me towards the waste ground, walking me towards the, the, the long grass. And his pals were all shouting words of encouragement from behind him. I was telling him to fuck off and leave me alone and what was he doing and trying to get away from him. But this guy wasn't having any of it and there was no reaction, no speaking at all. I couldn't get myself out of his grip and then suddenly he stopped and he, and he just lunged at me and he started to kiss me really hard and he was hurting my mouth and he stuck his tongue down my throat and he had his hands inside my knickers. And this happened within seconds. I'd just gone too far this time. I could hardly believe. I could hardly breathe. And this guy had an ironclad grip on me. There was no escape. And I was shaking like a leaf. I was terrified. I was a virgin with almost zero knowledge about sex. But I knew what would happen if I didn't start to think quick. I kept trying to push his hand away, but this guy was determined. He was six foot two and he was strong. And from nowhere, I said, I can't do this. I've got my periods. And the sad irony of that was that he was the only person I ever told. So... Hiding this for all this time, I had to tell this lunatic my biggest secret, I thought, to try and preserve my virginity. He was raging, of course, and he pulled out his bobby. So this was my very first encounter 
with one. I had seen diagrams of them at school when we went to these kind of sex class things at school. I was absolutely repulsed. I couldn't believe that this was what an actual one looked like. And this one looked more like a baby's leg. And it seemed to have my name on it. Well, he pushed me onto the ground so that I was kneeling. And he tried to show me what to do. I had no idea, no idea what he wanted me to do. And he was trying to force me, but I just couldn't. I was terrified and absolutely disgusted. He was extremely frustrated and trying to show me what to do with my hand. But again, I, I couldn't, I was, I just froze. I, I just was, life, life in the world just stopped from me at that moment. I was so shocked. So eventually he had to do the job himself, didn't he? And just kicked me in the stomach and pushed, and didn't push me, I fell into I fell into the long grass and hurt my back. Honestly, I had no idea that such things went on. So, on his way out, he gave me another kick round the head and he said to me, you are a prick tease and you will get what's coming to you. And he started to shout to all his pals, keep your eye on this wee in here. You will not be so lucky the next time. It's only a question of time to one of us get you. So you better have your, you better uh, be looking over your shoulder, lassie. I was absolutely shitting myself. I'm so grateful that I hadn't been raped. And I had escaped a horrible situation. I need to keep looking over my shoulder right enough in case any one of these Milton Tongs guys decided to get their revenge. How silly had I been? I was a bit worried for a few days. And then I just buried it like I did with everything else. And I got on with my life. But I did change my route to school back and forth so that I would never have to bump into him again. But I didn't really give it another thought. I just got on with my life. But I did try to rein in the gallusness because that situation had absolutely frightened me. And I knew I'd had a lucky escape. So that's the end of that episode. Um, next time I'm going to be talking about what was happening to me as I started to leave school and looking for a job and how those things were done in an age where there was no social media, uh, which you might find, uh, I hope, quite interesting. So thanks for being with me today. Thanks for joining me and I look forward to seeing you next time.